It's that time, the Betting Predators Podcast, where our main objective is hunting down the best bets for you. I'm your host, Sleepy J. You guys can find me on Twitter at SleepyJ underscore pregame. Joined here by the basketball fanatics. Got three guys in the house here. Mackenzie Rivers, Jay Smooth, and Dan Rivera. Dan Rivera is going to go ahead and cover some college basketball for you guys. We'll start out with him. Then myself, Mackenzie, and Jay Smooth will go ahead and we'll wrap up some NBA talk. And we also have uh, some free picks for you guys. I want to go ahead and start it out here in college basketball. Dan, you like one of these screwball games. Uh, it looks like you have the Omaha-Denver game. You have a particular play in that one that you like. What are you thinking? I do love me some screwball team, Sleepy. And if you listeners haven't noticed yet, today the first college basketball conference tournament kicked off on the Horizon League. So we're right around that time of the year where all these little tournaments start. But I'm going to go a little different route this week. I want Denver team total over 75 points. Denver is 7-4-1 over 75 points going back to last year at home. In that sample size, they're averaging about 78 points per game. And if you look strictly at 2020, they're averaging closer to 80 points per game at home. But they have a small sample size. Omaha is a team you can run on, and they will run with you. So that implies a shootout to me. Omaha has... A record of 7-7 seven and seven for points allowed for opponents over 75 points on the road. They're averaging about 76 points per game given up. If you go back through this series, this is generally a very high-scoring affair. Denver has gone over this number of the last four games at home versus Omaha, but you get into that weird dilemma of the new players coming in and out over that four-year sample size. The reason why I'm using the team total here instead of the regular total is because the numbers I look at support the team total more than the regular total. But Sleepy, this is just a game where Denver and Omaha seem like they want to run with each other. So I like Denver team total over 75 points. All right, quick and easy from Dan Rivera. They're going to go ahead and play Denver team total uh, over to 75 points. I want to talk about some NBA stuff here with Jay Smoove and McKenzie. Uh, Smooth, we have a game tomorrow. Actually, it's going to be quite interesting. The Jazz in the Heat. We are recording this one on Thursday night. Currently no line for you guys as of right now. Smooth, you made a line for this game, and you have a pick for this one as well, right? I have the Jazz. I made the line about four, four and a half. I think the odds makers will put a little premium on it and probably have it open at five to five and a half given how well the Jazz have been playing lately. Their last game, you know, on primetime against the Lakers, even though they had no Anthony Davis, Dennis Schroeder, a lot of people probably expected the Lakers to play a little bit better if you're listening to the national media, but the Jazz just took it to them, and they didn't even have one of their best games from, you know, their best player in Donovan Mitchell. And, you know, I think the Jazz, you know, they're still really undervalued, you know, given the narrative this season with the Nets, Lakers, Clippers, all having better odds to win the championship. But just with the advanced stats and their, you know, in the eye test, um, I've come around on the Jazz more, you know, over the Lakers, especially with the AD news with his injury, you know, with them being the best team in the league. You know, their last 10 games, you know, they've played 10 playoff teams and they got they went nine and one and they have eight double digit wins against playoff teams. So I would back the Jazz. You know, they played the Heat, you know, back on uh, February 13th and they blew them out by 18. Uh, as seven-point home favorites, and there was no scheduling disadvantage for the Heat, and the only uh, key player for the Heat that didn't play was Gordon Dragic, and the Jazz shot under 30, 30% from the three-point line, and they're one of the best three-point shooting teams in the league, so I think they're going to really give it to the give it to the Heat again. I would like to dive into the Jazz a little bit, but first let's talk about 
uh, maybe the Heat right now. Obviously, you know, they're not having a great season. That team was, you know, kind of disrupted by COVID, 15 and 17 on the year. Right now sitting in like the ninth seed in the East. And, you know, Boston's right in front of them too. We could talk about them a little bit as well. Uh, one of my concerns with Miami coming into this season was, you know, that they went into the finals. It was a super-duper short turnaround. And I was just wondering if maybe they were just playing possum a little bit. Maybe they were resting. And then the COVID thing kind of hits them, and it was like, you know, where does this team stand right now? Mackenzie, I'll throw it to you first. You know, when you look at all the teams in the East right now, you know, would you go ahead and put Miami in, in the playoffs? Well, right now they're my fifth best team in the East. They're better than the Boston Celtics, for example. And this is this is the NBA, a 15-17 and 17 record. If there was a 99 Bulls with Michael Jordan and he had come back, they'd be 15-17. and 17. It's no big deal. You're still the team that you are at believe in Spo. Uh, I like their squad. I think they'd be a lot better with Kyle Lowry if they actually want to do something this year. But, I mean, they're a team that made the finals because the Bucks, you know, played so poorly, not because they were, you know, a team as good as the Utah Jazz, for example. So, the, the, you know, they are pretty much who I thought they were. Their record's a little bit worse than it should be. But so is the Raptors. Uh, you know, and they have their own excuses, having to play in Tampa, for example. But, yeah, they're one of the better teams in the East. They're going to make the playoffs. You know, I kind of like that Lowry kind of idea there. I think that would be a half-decent pickup. What do you think, Smooth? What do you think about maybe just saying Lowry uh, goes over to Miami? I know Miami actually has room when the, the trade deadline comes because I was reading through on uh, uh, ESPN Plus today. I, I kind of read through each and every team and, and what they can and what they can't do. But it looks like Miami does have some wiggle room. Not necessarily sure if they can go ahead and get a guy like Lowry, but I think according to what I read that, um, there really wasn't a whole lot that was off the table, but what what would you uh, you know make of Miami if they did pick up somebody like Lowry? Yeah, I think Lowry could benefit a, a few teams, you know, Heat included. I also saw some rumors that the Clippers, you know, could be interested in picking them up, and I even seen some rumors lately that uh, the Sixers could be interested in picking them up. Talking about Lowry and the Raptors, um, just recently with how well they've been playing, I'm not so sure that they would be as willing to let go of Lowry because they've you know, uh, been surging, you know, lately. You know, I think they're back in the playoff mix. You know, Fred, Fred Van Vliet has been playing pretty well. So I think if they were to continue to, uh, you know, pursue moving Lowry, it would be like, a, you know, a future asset, you know, as far as, you know, getting, you know, a little bit more under the cap and, you know, playing younger players. But with the way that they've been playing lately, you know, they might not be as willing to move on, move on from Lowry. But he can definitely benefit those three teams. Yeah, I was thinking last night about him going to the Clippers, actually. And I'm like, if if it PG and, and Kawhi, you know, they, they, it seems to me like they, they really need a point guard right now um, that he could be, you know, a pretty big upgrade for them. What about the Jazz? I mean, this team, obviously, they're just bulldozing teams. Uh, went ahead, played the Lakers the other night, blew them out by by 25 points, 26 and 6 record. Uh, McKenzie had mentioned before we did the podcast on like something like 22 and 2 run. I mean, this team kind of reminds me of of that Warriors team. Smooth, you actually went through. You did some work with the Jazz, and you kind of compared them to some of the some of the teams in the past. What was some of the information that you dug up? Maybe you know, give us a better picture on this Jazz team. Whether you know, are we overvalued now with this team? Are we still undervalued? Uh, you know, are are we right where we need to be? Um, how you feeling right now with the work that you did? You know, with some of the teams from the past in reference to the Jazz. The work that I was able to 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 do over the with the Jazz over the last week or so, like I said, I think they're still undervalued. You know, given you know where their championship odds 
fall. But, you know, I was trying to come up with a, a, a clear cut comparison of um, a, to compare this team to that we've seen in the past. And, you know, I mentioned, you know, you mentioned the, the 2014-15 Warriors team that won the first championship. And then the second year, that Warriors team that made it to the championship, you know, there's a lot of similarities as far as being top five in offense and defensive rating. Um, both teams are that. And, you know, their three-point shooting, you know, both teams ranked top five or better when it came to three-point attempts and, you know, three-point percentage. But the difference was with those two teams compared to this Jazz team, you know, they had a clear-cut, you know, superstar uh, player, you know, MVP, unanimous MVP, and Steph Curry. And, you know, I think Donovan Mitchell's really talented. And I think that his, you know, he has great odds of winning, you know, the MVP, you know, given the narrative how they give it out now. But I don't think he's on the same level as, you know, a Steph Curry. So I started to think about some other teams, and a couple of teams came into mind where that uh, that Chicago Bulls team, I think it was 2010, 2011, that was led by Derrick Rose when he won the MVP. Um, just based off of how, you know, Derrick Rose played when he was, you know, last seen healthy. Uh, it's a lot of similarity in his game with uh, Donovan Mitchell. And just looking at that team, they were really solid on defense like Utah was, <clears throat> like Utah is, but they didn't really have another playmaker. And another team came into mind was that 08, 09, you know, Orlando Magic team that was led by, you know, uh, Dwight Howard with how dominant he was in his prime, you know, on the offense and defensive end, especially in the, play in the paint cleaning up the glass. And I see a lot of similarities with that with Rudy Gobert, um, but they just didn't have another playmaker, another playmaker or elite scorer on the perimeter. So, but they did have the three-point shooting. So when you look at this Jazz team, you know, they have, you know, the factor of Rudy Gobert, and they have the factor of Donovan Mitchell as well, you know, with the three-point shooting that, you know, they're, you know, top three to five in three-point attempts and percentage as a team. So any defense that goes up against this Utah Jazz team, you know, it's very hard to take away all three when it, when it comes to, you know, Rudy Gobert in the middle or Donovan Mitchell doing his thing or the collective of three-point shooting, you know, that they have. You know, they have about six or seven guys that shoot, you know, close to 40% with more than three to five attempts per game. So uh, they're just going to keep rolling. And another thing, you know, they had the one of the five, you know, hardest schedules for the first half of the schedule. And moving forward, you know, the second half of the schedule when it was released, they're going to have one of the five easiest schedules. So I think moving forward, it's going to be able – you're going to have to, like, pick your spots when you're looking at back in Utah, because it's going to see a lot of double-digit point spreads. Yeah, I actually think a lot of people are going to actually start betting them in the future market. You know, one of the things I think that's obvious is you look you look, and you're like, all right, well, that's the obviously, you know, the best team. And it seems as if, you know, sometimes we don't come to the conclusion until, you know, as we get towards like the finals or, or we get towards the Super Bowl. Like, I think once, you know, let's take the NFL, for example, no, once we started to get closer and closer to the Super Bowl, once we got, you know, into the playoffs, I think a lot of people quickly realized that, you know, Tampa Bay ended up having probably like, you know, the best collection of talent. And, you you know, you got to put the Chiefs in there, too. But I think it, the picture just became clear. And that's one thing that always annoys me is like, why don't we stop and take a look and, and be like, all right, who has the best collection of talent right now? in the NBA. And I think that that's something that we probably have to ask ourselves right now um, before, you know, we start losing value because, you know, the, the, the markets are still open on the future. So I'll throw it to McKenzie first. Mackenzie, give me, 
give me your top three teams right now, just as far as collection of talent. I don't care if if LeBron's going to be there and maybe, you know, they'll end up winning. If the Lakers are in there, fine. You know, maybe you have Miami and you're like, yeah, I think they'll end up getting through in this and that. But just tell me your three teams that you could that you look at and you're like, man, that team is just so damn stacked that it's not going to surprise you if they end up, you know, in the finals. Well, on my spreadsheet, my power rating spreadsheets here in Google, I got a potential column for this exact question. So I'm glad you asked me. You know how big of a fan I am of Anthony Davis. I've mentioned him many times in email and whenever you've given me this chance to be on this podcast. Love Anthony Davis. Think he's the greatest big man, you know, of this era. You know, better than Embiid by a lot. And I like Embiid. And you know, many of you, that I I think LeBron James in his career has been overrated to some degree, and he is right now. If you just bet against him the last seven, eight years, you're hitting 55%. Like every game, just do it. And I haven't done it, you know, because, you know, he's scary. He's so big and strong. But uh, I've, I've seen the numbers so many times. I'm like, how am I not just fading this guy? So it's going to sound like I'm a hater when I say that my top three teams by potential are the Brooklyn Nets, the Utah Jazz, and the LA Clippers. Lakers are fourth. I just think, you know, they have two guys and the Jazz have seven guys that I like for their role that can play in an elite level. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets have just so much more firepower, it's it's not even close. And Kawhi Leonard is 12-5 and five against LeBron, straight up in ATS about that, uh, since like 2014. He's just better than him as a small forward. He doesn't get the assists, but he can lock down on defense, and he's a more reliable bucket in the fourth quarter. So that's why I have those three teams, and just behind them by you know not even a half point would be the LA Lakers, because you know, they obviously have Anthony Davis, and one of the 10 best players to ever lace him up, LeBron James. Well, I certainly don't want to go ahead and disagree with you because you had three of the, the three teams that I had in mind. How about you, Smooth? Do you, are you, do you fall in line here with McKenzie, you know, with, with the Nets, the Jazz, and the Clippers? Yeah, I, I actually agree 100% when he was going, when he was listing the name of his teams. Um, those were the three teams that I had, um, you know, to fit that list. And I would even take it a step further. Um, even with a healthy Anthony Davis, I still, I, me personally, I still like the collection of roster of talent that the Sixers have. Um, me and McKenzie might disagree a little bit. Um, I would go with Joel Embiid, you know, over Anthony Davis, but you know, I like the Sixers roster, you know, top to bottom, you know, over the Lakers too. So for me, the Lakers would be fifth and then Sixers fourth and then the top three we all agree on. All right, so it's funny you mentioned the Sixers smooth because I'm going to probably push back on you pretty hard. I was going to lead you guys into this, but you kind of led yourself into it. So let's take a look at the East right now. I'll ask Mackenzie first. Give me any of the Eastern Conference teams right now that you think are exceeding expectation. It's got to be the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, nobody's even close. They're 7-0 and straight up in ATS without without their best player. I mean, I, I want to say like a sexier, more underground, more hardcore NBA league pass kind of team. Like the Raptors have been playing really well, for example. But it's got to be the Nets. I mean, if, this, the, if I look at the – I just looked at the Eastern Conference standings right now. There's no team, you know, worth discussing right now. This is a historic collection of talent right here. And we're about to see it, you know, Megatron reach full form and hopefully next game or a couple of days now. Like, are are the Nets really, are they exceeding their expectation? I mean, I get it. Maybe KD's not in there. If KD was, would we still feel like that team was exceeding their expectation? Like, I feel like out of all the teams in the Eastern Conference, 
the only team that's actually exceeding their expectation right now is the 76ers, which that's what concerns me. Like, all right, the Bulls are in the seventh seed. Maybe maybe the Knicks. I mean, maybe we could say the Knicks are the team that's, that might be exceeding expectation. But, like, go back through the list and just look. Like, which team is exceeding expectation? And, and let's throw the Nets out because I think they're a, they're a different – you know, a different animal, but like which team in the East is, is really just exceeding expectation right now. I, I can make an argument that there's not one except Philadelphia. Right. Like the Nets are an asterisk. All right. Skip them. The Milwaukee Bucks definitely underperforming. They're 19 and 13. This is going to be a historic team. Giannis was, you know, a historic player. Celtics, Sixers. I'm reading down my power ratings. Raptors, Heat, all very disappointing except for obviously the Sixers. We're 21 and 11, number one, but they're not like killing it. They're not like the Jazz or anything as far as their, their run. They're doing pretty good. You know, they're, Joel Embiid is showing that he is a top five, maybe maybe the best player in the NBA. It all depends on how you look at it. I could see that argument. Uh, the Wizards, the last month, maybe? Like, really, the Magic suck. The Bulls, the, the Hornets. I guess the Hornets are the one team that, like, you can say their GM and their coach deserve a pat on the back. Other than that, it's been a rough go of it. I And I think that's my big concern here for Philadelphia, and that's w- why I wanted to bring them up was, you know, I kind of wanted to caution everybody, you know, against this Philadelphia team. I don't think they're any better than, than what they've been the last couple of years. Um, that's just my personal opinion. I don't know what they did in the offseason to get any better to be a number one seed, but if you look at the Nets, if KD's on the Nets right now, uh, Philly's not sitting in the one seed. And if Milwaukee is playing, you know, for let's just say Milwaukee's just playing Milwaukee basketball, I think they're still in front of Philly. And Boston's all screwed up. Miami's all screwed up. You know, Washington, they they started out super duper slow. You know, the Raptors started out. I mean, they look like a train wreck. They look like a dumpster fire. You know, Indiana's Indiana. I'm not surprised at where they were, you know, where they're at right now, but I figured they'd be a little bit better. I just feel like Philly sitting in the one seed. You know that they could that they could still be a six or seven, the sixth or seventh best team in the Eastern Conference. I think a lot of things just line them up, and the fact that they're sitting in the one seed right now, um, and go through and look at their schedule. I mean, they played like twenty five teams that are like an eight seed or worse um, throughout the season. It's like I just wonder what they're going to look like in the second half. And I get the whole you know Embiid MVP conversation. But my concern is if you have money on them right now, that eventually the East is going to figure itself out and the cream's going to rise to the top. And has Philly, you know, ever really been that team? And I just think you, you lose a lot of value, you know, betting somebody like Embiid to make the MVP, betting, you know, betting Philly to, you know, represent the Eastern Conference. I, I just worry that right now the Eastern Conference is just, I'll say it in plain terms, it's just a shit show right now and that eventually the cream's going to rise at the top. These teams are going to figure themselves out. Philadelphia is going to take a look at their second-half schedule, and they're going to go, okay, we're going to have to really, you know, we're going to have to keep running. So that's why I brought that up, because I just worry about Philly. I, I hear a lot of people high on that team, high on Embiid, and it's not like they don't have a decent collection of talent. I guess maybe I can go back and and maybe bring up Rivers, Maybe Rivers is the big difference. You know, maybe he has them playing good basketball um, overall, and maybe they will be able to hang around. Um, that that might be the only thing because that's the only real change that I've seen. You know, with this Philly team, 
that would give me optimism that they could keep hanging around and doing what they're doing. But the second half schedule is going to be a lot, a lot more difficult. So I don't know. I just kind of wanted to hash that out and, and, you know, feel out, you know, you guys and what you think, but smooth, since you brought it up and I kind of threw Philly under the bus on you there, I'll let you go ahead and, and kind of rebuttal that and how you feel with that. Yeah. Just a little bit of disagreement with you guys when it comes to Philly. Um, even going back to last year uh, before the season started, Joel Embiid, I had picked to to win the MVP last year, and obviously they highly underperformed. But I think a couple of huge X factors to why we see them playing so much better this season is one, bringing in Doc Rivers, who's a respected championship-level coach, that um, those two stars and Ben Simmons and Embiid will, will you know, you know, listen to him and be motivated to play well under him. And then, you know, the play of Tobias Harris, you know, Tobias Harris, he was a borderline all-star his last year under Doc Rivers with the Clippers. And, you know, he should have made the, I thought he should have made the all-star team this year, you know, because he, you know, back performing really well under Doc Rivers again. And he's one of the handful of members that's part of the 50-40-90 club that's averaging about 20 points a game. And, you know, when people started really talking about the Sixers and they, um, put out the heat, was it a few years ago, and even made it to the, um, I think it was a, a game away or that shot away from the Eastern Conference Finals the year the Raptors won it. You know, they had some really good floor space and some really good shooting around Embiid and Simmons, whether it was uh, Ersan Ilyasova or J.J. Redick or even, you know, the year they had Jimmy Butler. And, you know, when they got rid of their shooting, you know, going back to last year where they surrounded with a bunch of bigs with Al Horford, it just wasn't enough spacing for Embiid and Simmons to operate. And now since they brought Daryl Morey over and, you know, new head coach Doc Rivers, bringing in Seth Curry, uh, Cork Mons, and I think got another shoot, Danny Green, opens up the floor more. And Embiid, you know, he's killing at an MVP level. But I think the X factor – a lot of people are still undervaluing Ben Simmons, I think, because what he can do on the offensive end, you know, he's a 6'10", 6'11", point guard with, like, Magic Johnson size. Um, but now you see him being a little bit more aggressive, getting to the basket. Um, he's not, you know, falling in, you know, uh, listening to the, the critics of he has to develop an outside shot. But Doc Rivers has encouraged him to be, you know, good at what he's already doing. And, you know, nobody can, can stop him from getting to the basket or finishing at the rim. And now he has the shooting around him to kick it out to. And, you know, just getting back, you know, if they happen to meet up with the Nets in the Eastern Conference Finals, which I think they will, um, one of the Nets' biggest, their biggest weakness is, you know, Philly's biggest strength. And, you know, that's playing defense, especially inside the paint. And I don't think the Nets will have an answer for Embiid. Um, but the Achilles heel that I did notice with the Sixers is that they're still like, they still have, you know, up and down home and road splits. So they're really dominant at home, but kind of borderline, you know, a little bit above average on the road. So it's going to be really important for them to maintain, you know, that number one seed out East. So if a game seven, you know, comes is, is on their floor to get to the finals, they can be at their best. But yeah, I think that, you know, I, you know, I got to disagree a little bit with you guys on the Sixers. I really like what I'm seeing from them this year. Well, that's one of the reasons why I always ask you to come on the podcast is because you understand the X's and O's. You understand basketball, you know, at a higher level and what certain players can do, you know, to help teams. And, you know, you understand the coaching aspect, you know, a whole hell of a lot better than I do. Um, yeah, I won't push back on you anymore. 
But I will say one final thing is that um, I don't think there's any way in hell that the 76ers will go ahead and keep that one seed. I would actually, I wouldn't be surprised if they finished the year out in the fourth or fifth seed. I think it could actually get that bad when the cream rises to the top and Philly eventually surfaces to who I, I think they are. Uh, but we'll go ahead and, and we'll see about that. Uh, one of the teams we did mention, the Boston Celtics, they've been in the news the last couple of days. Um, I don't know, man, like there's a lot of things going on with that team right now. Mackenzie, how are you feeling about Boston right now? You think they're going to eventually unscrew themselves? I mean, they have, you know, somewhat of a talented roster with Brown. They have Tatum, obviously. We know how good he is. And, you know, you got guys like Kemba Walker, uh, Marcus Smart's hurt, you know, right now. I mean, maybe that's, that's you know, hurting them. But overall with Boston, you know, do, do you think they find them, you know, find their way back into the playoffs? Because right now they're sitting in the eighth seed. Um, what have you noticed? Have you noticed anything that's going on with that team? Like, what's their issue right now? I think it might be a best blessing in disguise if they don't make the playoffs. Uh, they would probably have to, you know, reconsider everything. But you know, I I, I, w- I would say they're gonna they're gonna turn it around. I think Brad Stevens, you know, his his pass and chuck it offense has looked pretty ugly this year. Uh, you know, actually, well, funny looking at the Sixers wins, they've had I think four wins against what I would call good teams that that also have a winning record. The Nets without. KD and Kyrie, the Lakers, we'll see, and the Celtics twice. Nah, that doesn't look so good, but the Celtics still have a top 20 player, maybe two in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown with top 10 potential in Tatum, I think. They're really missing the wing uh, that can also distribute in Gordon Hayward. It seems like that would have been a way better something to keep rather than the point guards that they've been running through. Uh, Even Terry Rozier. I mean, maybe if they could have got him for cheaper, would have been better to keep in line rather than bring on the $34 million man in Kemba Walker who can't shoot right now. A lot of people have been talking about the way Kemba Walker's been playing, how bad his shots have been taking. I think if he made 50%, he'd be like Steph Curry. Like People would be like, oh my God, he's so amazing. They're just not going in. And he doesn't know what to do because since, uh, I mean, never had a Steph Curry rate, but since he was a kid, they always went in. So I, I, I feel bad for the guy. But uh, they're not they're not that good, but they're not that bad either. They're going to make the playoffs. Yeah, I think they probably end up squeezing in some way somehow. You know, I watched I watched Kemba the other day, and there was a game in which, actually, I think I sent you guys some notes. And he was just ice cold. He was like one from ten from downtown, and he just kept shooting. I'm like, dude, at some point, you know, you got to, uh, you know, you got to try sharing the basketball with the guys that are, you know, that are having a better game and he just kept firing up the shots, firing up the shots. I think it was against, I think it was against the Pelicans. Maybe it was against, yeah, maybe it was against New Orleans, but I don't know. I just think it's like, it's that type of mentality. Um, You know, it's it's not just him. I mean, he takes bad shots, but Jalen Brown, he takes a lot of bad shots too. So I think they just kind of, maybe they need to get beat down a little bit before they, they, they wake up and realize who they are. But I certainly think they're, you know, their collection of talent, um, you know, isn't all that bad. I did hear you mention one thing, though, about uh, Philly. What were you saying their record? How many good teams did they beat, McKenzie? Yeah, sorry. I, I didn't explain that well the first time. So I looked at all the games they won against a team that had a winning record. And the first one is the Cavs. So that wasn't too impressive. Uh, then they beat the Magic. Then they beat the Celtics twice. Okay. At the time, that looked really good. They beat the Lakers. They beat the Nets without KD and Harden. Okay, that's all good. 
it's not really super challenging yet. And then they lost to the Jazz, and they went one and one with the Raptors. There's, it's not like they haven't had to face the gauntlet that the Clippers or the Jazz or the Lakers have. Like it's a very different scene in the East right now, and it has been. Who are we kidding? For the last twenty years, it's just easier to be twenty-one and eleven in the East. I, I do think they are probably more like a nineteen and twelve team or eighteen and thirteen team or something. But that has to concern you in some type of way that the schedule in the first half. Yeah, I mean, I'm I've, I'm not a believer in the Sixers because I'm not the biggest believer in Ben Simmons. People say he's the defensive player of the year. I haven't watched enough Sixers game to like confirm that or, or like that, that that doesn't resonate with me from what I've seen. But offensively, he can't shoot, so that limits you. So I don't know if they have enough guys that can create and shoot on the perimeter to win playoff series. But Embiid, for the first time in his career, seems like he's in the third, fourth quarter, the same guy that he was in the first quarter, where he can generate shots on the wing or the elbow or wherever he has to. He's going to have to score 30 a game like Kawhi did in that one year, uh, every game, to to make the Sixers a, a viable playoff team, which he can. You know, I've believed in him since Kansas. If he, I'd love to, for him to prove me wrong and the Sixers to be the best team in the East and win it. All right. I felt like we hashed out pretty good Eastern Conference stuff. When we jump over to Western Conference, um, let's talk about the Portland Trailblazers and, and Lakers. They're going to end up playing here. Portland's going to be plus one. It uh, looks like four and a half right now. They'll be in L.A. Mackenzie, I sent you some work the other day with, um, you know, the Lakers in regards to LeBron. Uh, you know, what, what's his reaction to blowout losses? And I went back through this year and I went back through last year and I found about, uh, it looked like six or seven games where, you know, LeBron played in the blowout, and then he turned around and he played in the in the following game. Now, AD might have been in some of those games. He might not have been. But, you know, one of the things I noticed is that, you know, the, a lot of the blowout losses were on the road. Almost all of them were on the road. And then that following game turned out where, you know, that ended up being on the road as well. So um, it was just a weird road kind of dichotomy when you looked at, you know, the blowout losses for LeBron and then his reaction. But now they're going to be at home, which um, it went it went completely against the trend, um, you know, with all the road games that he was playing. So I kind of like this spot here for the Lakers. I think a lot of people should probably calm down a little bit with L.A. Like, look, they don't have Anthony Davis. Uh, Schroeder's been out. This team has had, you know, an, an amazing finals run last year. Very short turnaround. Uh, super-duper high expectations. The Lakers are good one way or another, but I think a lot of people are overreacting right now to you know the recent skid that they're on. But, man, I got to tell you, I like this spot here um, with the Lakers. I would easily lay the points, and you and I were talking before the podcast, and we're maybe considering maybe an alternate line bet. I'm not sure how far you're willing to go with that, but the work that I did that I found last night it seems like the Lakers turn around after a blowout loss with the LeBron and they win by an average of like eight, eight and a half points. So being at the line's four and a half, you know, would you even be willing to go ahead and maybe make an alternate line um, wager on the Lakers tomorrow? Do you feel, you know, that they will blow them out? Um, how do you feel that that game will go? Uh, what are some of the things you're looking at, you know, for that particular game? So I looked at your numbers and they looked good. Uh, every time they bounced back, they won by eight, 14 in that range. And I looked at the last time LeBron won or lost rather four games in a row. It was the last time he played without Anthony Davis, obviously. And uh, they won the next game by 16 on the road in Chicago. This game's at home. 
I think there's a lot of reason for margin. If they're up by 15 in the fourth, they are one bad five-minute stretch from you know the worst first-take episode in history for LeBron's legacy if they somehow blew a 15-point lead. So no, they'd want to kill him. They'd want to win by 30, which I think is the right attitude. Can't do that 82, 82 games a year. You definitely can do that in this one game when they're on a four-game losing streak. Uh, I would love to say that the Lakers are just not that good, um, especially without LeBron, but the fact that Dennis Schroeder isn't there is actually a huge factor. They're built to have two creators, you know, 75% LeBron and then 25% somebody else when he takes a rest. Without that, they were a bunch of, you know, square pegs for a round hole. So in general, I could see the Lakers winning by 20. Absolutely no problem. But because I don't love the side at minus four and a half, my numbers make it minus three and a half. The Lakers should be hosting the Portland Trail Blazers. Uh, I wouldn't mind actually laying nine and a half the other way with the Blazers with a big plus money. The thing about the NBA is the totals keep going up and up and up like a 20 18 four kind of kind of run happens all the time, especially at the end of games uh, when teams eventually have to wave the white flag or they have to say, well, let's hit three threes in a row and try to make it. So I would lay minus nine and a half either way, you know, a couple uh, 20 bucks on each. I would do that, you know, for some fun. Uh, I think, you know, if you dig into it and you love the Lakers, I would definitely not take the minus four and a half, but take a bigger number. Yeah, I feel pretty strong about the Lakers. The more that I think about it, I just think, you know, LeBron off a blowout, four straight losses, Lakers coming back home. And I look at both of those rosters and I look at, I just look at LeBron as in, you know, he's a second head coach out on the floor and he's going to push his guys because he was bitching and moaning and groaning, you know, about the defense that they were playing. And Mackenzie had mentioned it, you know, earlier on is that, if Lillard comes up short in this game and he doesn't go off and have a Lillard-type game, Portland could be in trouble. So I feel good about laying the four and a half, and I like your bets on you know with the alternates pulled ways. But I do feel really strong that the Lakers come back here. Um, I might I might release this. So uh, if you guys are listening, you might know what my featured release will actually be on Friday. But I feel really good about the Lakers. I just think there's just way too many things in their favor. About the Blazers roster, I'll just say that like game two of the of the of the playoffs, there's a series when they lost by 40, like Cantor or something, or Collins had been hurt and Lillard had a finger. They are way worse than they were then, uh, as far as injury and everything. So I could I could definitely see a strong a strong side on the Lakers here. Yeah, they are far way worse now than than they were. I was actually wondering how the hell you know they're sitting in the fifth seed right now with an 18 and 13 record. I think a lot of it probably has to do with you know guys like Carmelo and Trent, you know, coming off the bench. At least they have. Um, a little bit of depth now that could actually go out and, and shoot the three ball and score. Th- that could be the only reason. Um, but I like the I like you know, I like the Blazers roster overall when they have Nurkic and McCollum and those guys, and that's a healthy team. I think that they're dangerous. Uh, but right now, I just I don't like the, the, the situation for them. Smooth. Let me throw one quick question at you, and then we'll go ahead. And we'll wrap this up. You know, right now the Lakers. Yeah, look, they're struggling. And McKenzie had mentioned, you know, with, with Schroeder not out there. You know, that team just becomes, you know, a different type of team. You know, is this Lakers team still built to have LeBron be in their point guard or no? Yeah, I think so. Um, But over the last few games since Anthony Davis and Schroeder's been out, um, you know, they were when they were healthy, they was like an average offensive team to offensive rating, you know, just barely making it. And But their defense was getting them through. 
But since those two guys have been out, you know, they've fallen all the way to 25th. So even if you do put it all on LeBron, they're still not, you know, good enough to to beat, you know, the good team. So I, I worry about the Lakers a little bit moving forward, you know, because of the, the injury to Anthony Davis. Uh, but I think they should be fine, you know, in this matchup with the Blazers because the Blazers are so bad, you know, defensively. And, you know, their last game with the Jazz, uh, with the Lakers, you know, I thought they would come out and be motivated to try to end that three-game losing streak. You know, you don't really see too many, you know, championship teams or have championship aspirations uh, go on losing streaks that long. So now I think that motivation will be there even more for this game, you know, being, you know, at home against a weaker defense with the Blazers. But, you know, just moving forward, you know, with the Lakers, you know, you have to, I think you have to have a, a, a LeBron playing at a high level, but I think they have to be healthy too, you know, with Dennis Schroeder back. Uh, he's expected to be back, you know, uh, tomorrow night, but a, a healthy Anthony Davis also helps their offense, you know, get back to at least, you know, respectable around league average. All right. Well, I'm not going to back off my Lakers take. I, I feel pretty good about them tomorrow. Well, I felt like we wrapped up, you know, a pretty decent amount of, you know, NBA kind of newsing stuff and kind of discussed a little bit about the teams. It always seems like we kind of uncover some good bets, maybe even some future bets. Um, I am concerned about Philly. I will go ahead and, and say that. Uh, but that'll wrap up the podcast, guys. Big thanks to Dan Rivera, Mackenzie Rivers, and Jay Smooth. You guys can find us all on Twitter. You guys can get me at Sleepy Jay underscore pregame, Mackenzie Rivers at Mac and Rivers, Jay Smooth at Smooth underscore 702, and Dan Rivera at Dan Rivera 228. Make sure you guys check us out on bettingpredators.com and the best sports betting information site on the web, pregame.com. With that said, I'd like to wish you guys all the best of luck. Enjoy the games. <laughs>